Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. It is Wednesday the 3rd of June and the US riots have Australians asking, do we have similar problems here? Australia can't get away with saying, oh, we're not like that, we're not racist. That story in just a moment. But first, here's Annika Smethurst with all the big news from this morning. Morning, Tom. Now kicked and knocked face first into the pavement. A police officer is under investigation after he was filmed pinning an Indigenous teenager on the ground during an arrest in inner Sydney. What? Oi! What the f***? Slammed him on the face. You just slammed him on his face. Oi! What the f*** is this? Yeah, in the video, the 17-year-old boy can be heard first verbally threatening a male police officer who's several metres away from him. The constable then grabs a teenager's hands and puts them behind his back before kicking out his legs from underneath, causing him to fall. Police were in Surrey Hills for an unrelated incident and the teen hasn't been charged with anything. He was taken to hospital for treatment while the officer has been put on restricted duties as the force's professional command investigates. Yeah, and the video of the incident was shared thousands of times on Facebook before being taken down. Uh, New South Wales Assistant Police Commissioner Mick Willing is worried the footage will be used to fan existing tensions here in Australia. Is this concerning for me? Absolutely it is. We've got great relationships with the community here. We don't want anything to impinge on those relationships, but I'm equally concerned about people who may want to use this footage to turn it into something it's not. We're all well aware of what's happening overseas, but this is not the United States of America. Well, let's go to the United States of America now and presidential hopeful Joe Biden is leading a push to outlaw police chokeholds like the one that killed unarmed African-American George Floyd. I call on the Congress to act this month on measures that will be the first step in this direction, starting with real police reform. Congressman Jeffries has a bill to outlaw chokeholds. No more excuses, no delays. Protests over his death are now in day eight and nighttime curfews are in place. And the president made this threat to bring in thousands of military personnel to stop the looting and the violence and fires. I will fight to protect you. I am your president of law and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters. And another team of Aussie journos have been caught up in the riots. Um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison stepped in and asked for an investigation into a police attack on a Channel 7 reporter and camera operator in Washington. Um, This played out on live TV. We've been uh, fired at with rubber bullets. My cameraman has been hit. Uh, We've also seen tear gas being used. Here we go, they're moving through again. This is exactly what it looks like. Exactly what it looks like. We're just staying safely. Oh. Whoa. Yeah, that was a crazy scene, wasn't it, Annika? It seems like the the police were treating the media just like the protesters. No different treatment at all. Yeah, and alarmingly, they were a long way from actually where the protest was. Um, I know Amelia Brace is an excellent journalist, so terrible to see what happened there. Meanwhile, protests are now starting here in Australia. sound of more than a thousand protesters gathering in Sydney for Australia's second peaceful Black Lives Matter rally. Yeah, there was a protest in Perth on Monday night too, and last night's crowd in Sydney marched in solidarity with African Americans, but also um, was marching for the injustices faced by Indigenous Australians, which is something we'll go into depth on in just a moment here on The Briefing. And now to something a bit lighter. I mean, it wouldn't be hard to be much lighter than the sort of stuff we've had to talk about this week. Um, Netflix's hit doco series, Tiger King, which got plenty of us through the darkest moments of the lockdown, has a major development. Tiger, 
Yeah, Tom, a judge has given Carol Baskin ownership of Joe Exotic's former zoo after she sued the eccentric zookeeper, who is now serving 22 years behind bars for trying to hire a hitman to kill her. Oh, my goodness. Um, series two, by the sounds of it, in the works. That is a major <laughs> development. The Animal Park's current employees now have 120 days to clear out, and hopefully it <laughs> will lead to another series. Did you watch it, Annika? Oh, yeah, loved it. This is just such a, a twist in the tail, almost as big as Joe going to jail. It's going to annoy a few people, I think, Carol Baskin taking ownership of that. <laughs> she might make some more enemies. I can't breathe. Those are the heartbreaking and now famous words that George Floyd repeated before he was killed last Monday. Oh, what do you want? I can breathe. Please, the my dick. I can breathe, sir. Four and a half years ago, here in Australia, an Indigenous man called David Dungay repeated the same desperate phrase before he died in a Sydney jail. Since the riots broke out in America, small groups of Australian protesters have been raising the uncomfortable question, do we have similar problems here? And I just think to myself, how wonderful a country is Australia. We have our problems, we have our faults, we have our issues, there's no doubt about that. But when I see things like that, I'm, I'm just very thankful for the wonderful country we live in. So the problems, the faults, the issues that the PM alluded to there often fall heavily on the shoulders of our Indigenous people and you've got to wonder how wonderful life is for them. Indigenous people make up only 3% of the population but 27% of the prison population. More than 400 Indigenous Australians have died in custody since the Royal Commission that tried to solve that issue 30 years ago. There's never been a conviction of anyone involved in those deaths. So let's find out how Indigenous people here are reacting to what's happening in the US and what we can learn from what's happening there to try and solve our problems here. Marcia Langdon's one of Australia's most outspoken Indigenous voices. She's a professor who's written and researched Indigenous deaths in custody for over 30 years. Marcia, thanks for joining us here on The Briefing. How have you felt watching the anger play out on the streets of America? Uh, well, it's uh, distressing to see uh, a country self-implode in the way that the United States is. Uh, it was entirely predictable, of course. Uh, I've been wondering for some time whether or not the United States is on the edge of a civil war. The rise of race hate globally has impacted most, I think, in the United States and Europe. And despite the fact that we have the highest Indigenous incarceration rates in the world, well, the highest incarceration rates in the world, we're somewhat fortunate in that we don't have some of the aspects of that uh, race-hate culture that derives from slavery in the United States and arguably from anti-Semitism in Europe, uh, in that we've had for over 20 years now a reconciliation process. We don't have a gun culture. And uh, there have been many royal commissions and inquiries and although they've only had the slightest of impact in, say, uh, improving police engagements with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and done nothing at all to reduce the rates, in fact, they've skyrocketed, at least we have a functioning civil society that persists with trying to reform the police. Now, we may not have been successful. In fact, we're spectacularly unsuccessful. The idea that we should resort to such widespread protests and violence, I don't think is top of mind for most Indigenous leaders. Most of us have worked very hard to reduce police encounters with the Aboriginal people and to reduce imprisonment rates. It hasn't worked, but I hope that 
the events in the United States and many in Europe, by the way, will inspire our politicians and the heads of the police forces to uh, respond more effectively to our calls for reform. It's interesting what you say there, Marsha, in some ways encouraging that we actually might not end up quite in a situation like in the US. I guess my question is in two parts, though. It's one about leadership. There's a lot of criticism about Donald Trump and his reaction in the US and how he's responding. So I wanted to know, how should leaders respond? Obviously, he's not doing anywhere near enough, but what is the best way to react to these sort of protests? But also, how should everyone else react? There's a lot of people feeling incredibly frustrated. They want to do more. Um, They're not exactly sure what path to take. So in this situation, what can we do? Well, first of all, Scott Morrison said that that we don't have racism in Australia. And I think he probably needs to do a cultural awareness training program because uh, we do. (laughs) And it's structural racism. So for instance, uh, 28% of our adult prison population is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And we're only 3% of the population. Our men are 15 times more likely to be in custody and women are 20 times more likely to be in custody. Now that cannot be sheeted home to criminality. That is structural racism. And it's not only the prime minister who needs to be better informed, but I think most Australians need to be better informed and certainly police and correctional services officers and the judiciary. How can we allow this situation to happen and to continue when all of the recommendations for reform have been comprehensively ignored and pushed off the table? Australia can't get away with saying, oh, we're not like that, we're not racist. And quite a few people have been saying that over the last few days during these riots in America and protests It is simply not true that Australia is less racist than the United States. Our racism is different, but it has even more alarming outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, Marcia, where do we sort of focus our efforts on on change here? Because it's such a multifaceted problem from engagement with police, the legal system, our prison system, and then the broader context for that, which is the, the vast socioeconomic disparity? Well, you know, there are very good reports, very good analysis, and the recommendations are very clear. Your response is the typical response. It's all too hard. Where do we even start? Aborigines won't step up. Well, so you see, none of that is true. We've had outstanding results where people have accepted the recommendations and implemented them. And I'll just give you two examples. In southeast Queensland, the education gap for uh, grade 12 completions has been closed. And that has been the case since 2018. The Education Department in South East Queensland, then led by Jim Waterston, introduced a case management approach to ensure that every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander student living in South East Queensland completed grade 12. And they closed the gap within a few years Those results have been extended across Queensland and much of Queensland um, has closed the gap on basic educational outcomes. Similarly, in universities, we've closed the gap on first-year enrolments for Indigenous medical students. When people listen and implement 
the recommendations of experts, change comes. Of course, there are all of the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody tabled in the Australian Parliament in 1991, before many of your listeners were born, and we should return to those and implement them. So, Marcia, how important is it to have Indigenous voices when trying to tackle these issues, as opposed to having voices imposed on Indigenous communities? How important is it to have someone from those communities at the table? Australians can continue to listen to the race hate or they can take advice from very wise Indigenous leaders who, for instance, achieved miraculous results during the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We have a population of 800,000 people. Uh, There are only 56 positive cases in our population and, as far as we know, no deaths. Now, that is an outstanding result and that was achieved because of the leaders in our Indigenous health sector. So listening to Indigenous leaders is vital to closing the gap and overcoming the ridiculous and unnecessary disadvantage that much of our population suffers. That was Professor Marcia Langdon. Now to the thoughts of a young Indigenous man devoting his life to giving young Indigenous kids a leg up. Yeah, Jack Manning Bancroft started an organisation called AIM in 2005, which has helped thousands of Indigenous kids by pairing them up with uni-aged mentors. They've since expanded into six countries, including the US, where Jack has been living for the last three years. Jack, what's been your reaction to the events of the last week in America? The complexity and the reality of the anger and um, and the pain and the hurt of years and years of feeling like you're um, you're not heard or not seen um, is is something that people who are coming out of marginalised backgrounds face every single day and and the bridge to that struggle being overcome is is really confronting for all parties and I think being able to to bring anger and directness to the to the forefront um, to then balance out the the feeling of that pain and that hurt and that frustration and then trying to work out um, where I've spent my life working on how the heck you, you try and channel that rage and that anger into a place of diplomacy and and working with people through complexity is is really really um, big stuff and and after being in the states for the last three years particularly seeing the way it's been governed um, and led morally, it, f- it felt like there was a tinderbox building. Um, you feel it in New York and feel it in a number of places we were working in, so I'm not surprised to see this current reaction considering um, some of the things that have been building over a number of years. And does it make you reflect on race relations here in Australia as well? Like in many ways, I hate race. I, I think it divides us into these camps in... Um, in often really base level ways, it can make us see other people as others in just the worst of ways. And we share so many things in common. I don't think it's a cliche. Like we actually do have like same hands, same feet, uh, similar shaped bodies around the world of every identity, and and a lot going on inside our um, you know beneath the skin, which is is really common. And and I think race is has been um, this really complex dividing force, um, often a superpower. Like it's nice to feel like you're connected to a group. It's it's been a, it's allowed creation of identity and stories. And um, yeah, and, and then at times it can be just so divisive. When you talked about channeling this kind of anguish that we're witnessing now into lasting change. 
what are the what are the ways you see we can do that and what what gives you hope that potentially what we're seeing pouring out on the streets right now could lead to lasting positive change you know watching mandela walk out of robin island and what he did i constantly yeah. trying to search for for that level of of gravitas and um and empathy and forgiveness and i just feel like if we if if retribution follows retribution follows retribution follows retribution we end up with destruction and i i don't yet know another way except for trying to to bring the differing parties together and to and to move with that anger and that force um hopefully into a way where we can see each other. Well, you've touched on a, an incredible example there, Nelson Mandela, where he came out of the most unjust situation being, being locked up for so long on Robben Island and then coming back out into society and not wanting to, to fuel that cycle of anger by any further violence. And, and that required the, the victim being bigger or more open-hearted than the aggressor, which is which is so much to ask when a person or a race of people has taken so much pain in the past. It's a huge ask. Well, Jack, great to have your your passion and, and a sense of positivity as well in this moment um, on this podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. So that was Jack Manning Bancroft with some fairly positive thoughts given how hectic this situation is. I guess his hope and the hope of a lot of us is that all this rage, anger and emotion actually leads to lasting change, Annika. Yeah, I think there's a lot of frustration from people not knowing what to do. And we've seen a lot of posts on Instagram and it's an amazing sort of outshowing of grief and, and solidarity. But there's some practical ways there, even by signing up and being a mentor with Jack's organisation, that people can actually make a difference in the long term. Yeah, and Barack Obama wrote an interesting piece this week um, looking at some of the real ways people can make a difference. And, and maybe they're not as exciting or as sort of... Um, emotionally rewarding they're often involving hard work and and um campaigning at a local level for mayoral elections in american cities or or governor elections at a state level because those are the authorities that that are controlling the police which is where a lot of these problems come from so interesting to hear him pointing out um i guess that the practical work that needs to be done to enact lasting change and hopefully capitalize on this moment that's it for today's episode of The Briefing. Thank you so much for listening as we cover uh, all the issues arising out of the US protests. We look forward to speaking to you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.